0: From the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation, this is the Wisdom Chain Podcast. I'm Tim Olson. Thanks for tuning in. And by the way, this is the fourth episode of the Wisdom Chain podcast. I really recommend you start from the very beginning. Uh, If you haven't heard the first episode of the Wisdom Chain podcast, go back and download that first episode so that you really get to understand what the Wisdom Chain is all about. You'll hear from the founder of the Wisdom Chain philosophy, Dick Anderson, He'll explain what this idea is all about, and you'll get a sense for why we held the first annual Wisdom Chain Day in Medora in the first place. We've heard from Randy Hudson Bueller, Ed Schaefer, Laurel Nelson. Now, today we get to hear from Pastor Gerald Sharon. He's a rostered pastor with the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. He serves as teaching pastor at Hope Lutheran Church in. In Palm Desert, California, he has more than 40 years of pastoral experience in churches of wide-ranging size, from rural churches with 20 attendees to senior leadership at churches of 20,000 attendees, and we were honored to have him in attendance. He made the trip from California all the way to North Dakota on June 15th, 2021 for Wisdom Chain Day. Here's Pastor Gerald Sharon to tell you about the key to unlocking your preferred future.
1: It is uh, an absolute joy and privilege to get to uh, be here with you for the, what we really believe will be the first Wisdom Chain Day. And it's also a joy to have the coveted position of every speaker right after lunch. Yeah, you, know, you ever have those moments when when, when you, you learn something or something happens, and it's like, oh, you know, or you create some fear or some, maybe a little bit of anxiety in you? It's kind of like when we, Giza and I, were flying here and we had a, a connection in Denver and we get on our plane and they say, you know, the captain comes on, uh, there's a light, exterior light we have to replace, it'll be just a few minutes, they replace that, it takes about probably an hour to do that. Then they, um, then they push us away from the gate and we get out and they can't start the engines. So then they have to pull us back in to the gate and they try to fix the engines, they can't do that, then eventually they take, by this time it's probably 90 degrees inside the plane. They say, we're gonna get off, we're gonna go to another gate, the same plane is there, we can just move everybody over, so we'll, we go over there. That all happens, we get on the plane, eventually, you know, three hours late, we take off and we're up in the air, and Giza and I are sitting uh, on the side with two seats, and because we're flying into Dickinson, and we start hearing this popping and cracking noise, and it's, we're sitting like right over the wing. And we hear this bumping, and this popping, and this cracking, and Giza looks at me, and she said, what do you think that is? And I said, sounds like the wing to me. And uh, she, she said, how many wings are there on this plane? Uh, I, I, said, I said, there are two. She said, how far can we fly with one? I said, all the way to the site of the crash. <laughs> Probably wasn't the most comforting thing. You'll get it in a minute. Um, the comforting thing to, to say to my wife at that point. But that's kind of how I felt when I saw that I was the speaker right after lunch. You know, All the way to the, to the site of the crash. But uh, I'm just going to tell you, I know with natural biorhythms and then you've just eaten And then on the way in, they served you cookies on top of that to give you some sugar. Uh, Before I'm finished, you're going to be nose diving. Some of you, I fully understand, will be dozing off and and falling asleep. Uh, I want you to know I really don't mind that because at the end of our time, some of you are going to rise up inspired. Others of you will wake up refreshed. (laughs) Either way, you'll have gotten something out of uh, today. And I'm I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad to be with you. You I, I love to learn. Uh, It is one of the the parts of who I am, and I'm going to talk with you today about the key to unlocking your preferred future, but I love to learn. Um, I have a bachelor's, two masters, and a doctoral degree, uh, and I've spent a lot, all that means is I've spent a lot of time of my life in school. And when I was finishing my my doctorate, the church where I was a pastor at the time was making a really big deal out of that. They were going to have a big celebration for all of that. Uh, It was probably a bigger deal to them than it was to me because I've come to believe that uh, degrees have much more to do with endurance than they do with intelligence. You know, that if you can just hang in there long enough, you'll you'll get the degree. Well, the Sunday before the... uh, Uh, The celebration, there was this big announcement, they were making a big to-do about it, and after the service, a little girl who was about seven years old walked up to me, and she looked at me, and and with this, like, amazement in her eyes, she said, Pastor Gerald, how long have you been in school? And so I ran some quick calculations of, you know, starting from when I, you know, was a little kid all the way through, and I said, sweetie, I, I said, I think it's been about 26 years. She looked at me with more amazement and said, aren't you ever going to get smart? <laughs> True story. That's exactly what happened. Well, I, I've got to tell you, I hope not. I hope I don't ever get smart. I want to be a learner until the day that I die. And that's why I continue to read and I continue to study and I continue to learn. Today has been fantastic for me. You know, I, I'm going to quote uh, you, Laurel. I'm going to quote you, Ed. I'm not going to give you credit. I'm just going to quote you. Um, because I was taught a long time ago, you know, the first time you quote somebody, you know, I would say like, you know, Laurel Nelson said, and then the next time I quote uh, her, I would say, you know, I- I've heard it said, and the next time I quote her, I'll say I've always believed. <laughs> that's the way. That's the way you quote people. But uh, I, I have. Thank you so much, uh, and it's been great to uh, to be here already today with what um, with what I have learned. Uh, in fact, are you familiar? Anybody familiar with the Gallup Strengths Finder? Uh, If you're not, okay, how many of you are? Let me see your hands. Okay, that's great. Several of you are. It it is a fantastic tool. It's an instrument that helps people focus on their strengths rather than their weaknesses. And uh, there are 34 strengths or... Talents that they have uh, developed a total language around those. And when you know your top five, and if the people you work with know their top five, it creates a better cooperative work environment where you understand each other better, even in discussions and trying to make decisions. When I, the last church where I was a senior pastor, uh, we all uh, on staff, I had everybody do the strings finder, and then you had a little acrylic plaque with your five top strengths, which is what you find out in StrengthsFinder. And whenever you walked into a meeting, you had to sit that in front of you. Because when we were having discussions, if I understood your strengths and your talents, I would better understand what you were saying. For instance, somebody who has, you know, give me an idea, let's run with it. But somebody who has the strength of belief, they take a long time to process and really take it in, and they can't go after something until they really believe it's going to work. And so, my executive pastor, you know, if he was pushing back, his top strength was belief. It wasn't because he didn't want to support me and do what I wanted to do. He needed to really believe it before he could be on board. And so, the Strengths Finder helps you be able to do that and uh, work through and accomplish more in that. Well, one of those strengths is Learner. And actually, that's my top strength, it's one of my top five. And it really involves more of the process the process of acquiring knowledge than having the knowledge itself, or becoming uh, a subject expert in an area. Now a downside of the learner, a downside of the learner's strength is that we always need to be learning something new. And we learn something new, and then once we share that knowledge and we tell it to somebody else, then we're ready to move on to something else to, to, uh, that's new and uh, develop a new skill set. And so one of those challenges is, once you've learned that, once you've shared it, now you need something new to learn, and you move on. And once I discovered that, I began to see a pattern in my life. But there was something that I discovered, something that I learned several years ago that I have never moved beyond. It was so insightful to me, so life-impacting to me, that It it covers every realm of life, it it covers literally, you can think any realm of life, and and what we're going to talk about um, covers that, that realm of life, whether it's your career or your family, your community, your faith organization, a foundation, a country club that you're a part of, you never move beyond it. And it's become one of my standard methods of operating, one of my standard methods for engaging every aspect of my life and my preferred future. Now, and I happen to believe that the key to unlocking your preferred future is what we're going to talk about today. All of you have a lot of f- possible futures ahead of you, a lot of possible futures, but your preferred future is the one future that's going to be the most life-giving experience that you can have for the rest of your life. And I'm going to talk with you about that in a moment, And um, but you, you may have heard about it, and if so... Uh, maybe you forgot about that, and I hope today is going to be a refreshing reminder if you haven't heard about it. Uh, it's going to be, um, it can be revolutionary for you in your life, and it integrates in amazing ways with the wisdom chain, and I'm going to talk with you about that. Now, let's, let's talk about what I'm convinced is the key to unlocking your preferred future. The one that's going to give you the most life-giving experience you can have from this day on. And what I learned several years ago that I haven't moved away from, I I happened on a video that just made bells and whistles go off in my mind. And it was a TED Talk. Anybody familiar with the organization TED and and TED Talks? Good. Um, If you're familiar with that organization, TED stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. And it's a nonprofit devoted to spreading ideas. And they say it's ideas worth spreading because they passionately believe in the power of ideas to change attitudes and lives and ultimately change the world. When I happened on this particular TED talk, it really did change my life forever. And it's the way uh, with TED, the way they do this is primarily through 18 minute or less talks. Yep, you get 18 minutes to give a TED talk. For 18 minutes to share an idea that you think will change an attitude or lives or the world. Now this is a pretty amazing group of people. So I'm just gonna ask, any of you given a TED talk? I mean, I thought there might be a chance that somebody in this room has given a TED talk. Here's, okay, have you Bill? Okay. Bill, what happens at minute 18? They turn off your mic. You get 18 minutes. And if their philosophy is if you can't say it in 18 minutes, you don't need to be, need to be sane. And so they, some of you right now when you're thinking about that, wish you could do that with, with somebody you know. Just turn them off. If you go to church, many of you think that about your pastor. You know, 18 minutes, boy, could I turn it off? Could I, could I turn him off? Well, this particular TED Talk was given by a guy named Simon Sinek, and he gave it in September of 2009, and actually gave this TED Talk at a TEDx event, which is a smaller, more local community-based event with the crowd. And this, this talk that he gave on September of 2009 became a worldwide phenomenon. Anybody seen Simon Sinek's talk on the Golden Circle? Okay, a couple of you had. Good. It's, it's an amazing talk, and you're going to get to know some more about it in just a minute. On TED's site, this talk has been viewed over 55 million times. Now, if you run the math on that, nearly, that's nearly 13,000 views per day, every day, since 2009. Wouldn't you love to give a talk that 13,000 people a day would listen to, every day for that many years and it's been translated into 48 languages. Would you say that's a pretty strong talk? 13,000 views a day translated into 48 different languages. Well Simon Sinek talks about how great leaders inspire action. And what he talks about has monumental implications for every one of us on how we live and how we move and how we interact with other people and organizations every day of our lives, particularly if you have any kind of a leadership role in any realm. And I I want you to see just some short portions out of that talk, and and I hope it will inspire you enough after you watch just a few minutes of this that you will go back and watch the whole 18-minute talk um, and that it would capture your interest. And then we're going to watch this, then we're going to talk about the implications of it, the difference it can make in your life, and the intersection with the wisdom change. So let's watch this. As it turns out, there's a pattern. As it turns out, all the great
2: and inspiring leaders and organizations in the world, whether it's Apple or Martin Luther King or the Wright Brothers, they all think, act, and communicate the exact same way, and it's the complete opposite to everyone else. All I did was codify it. And it's probably the world's simplest idea. I call it the golden circle. Why, how, what? This little idea explains why some organizations and some leaders are able to inspire where others aren't. Let me define the terms really quickly. Every single person, every single organization on the planet knows what they do 100%. Some know how they do it, whether you call it your differentiating value proposition, or your proprietary process, or your USP. But very, very few people or organizations know why they do what they do. And by why, I don't mean to make a profit. That's a result. It's always a result. By why, I mean what's your purpose? What's your cause? What's your belief? Why does your organization exist? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? And why should anyone care? Well, as a result, the way we think, the way we act, the way we communicate is from the outside in. It's obvious. We go from the clearest thing to the fuzziest thing. But the inspired leaders and the inspired organizations regardless of their size, regardless of their industry, all think, act, and communicate from the inside out. Let me give you an example. I use Apple because they're easy to understand and everybody gets it. If Apple were like everyone else, a marketing message from them might sound like this. We make great computers. They're beautifully designed, simple to use, and user friendly. Want to buy one? Meh. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. The way we challenge the status quo is by making our products beautifully designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. We just happen to make great computers. Want to buy one? Totally different, right? You ready to buy a computer from me? All I did was reverse the order of the information. What it proves to us is that people don't buy what you do, people buy why you do it. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And if you talk about what you believe, you will attract those who believe what you believe. Well, why is it important to attract those who believe what you believe? Something called the law of diffusion of innovation. And if you don't know the law, you definitely know the terminology. The first 2.5% of our population are our innovators. The next, 13.5% 13.5% of our population are our early adopters. The next 34% are your early majority, your late majority, and your laggards. The only reason these people buy touchtone phones is because you can't buy rotary phones anymore. <laughs> so let me give you a famous example, a famous failure and a famous success of the law of diffusion of innovation. First, the famous failure. It's a commercial example. As we said before a second ago, the recipe for success is money and the right people and the right market conditions, right? You should have success then. Look at TiVo. From the time TiVo came out about eight or nine years ago to this current day, they are the single highest quality product on the market. Hands down, there is no dispute. They were extremely well-funded. Market conditions were fantastic. I mean, we use TiVo as a verb. I TiVo stuff on my piece of junk Time Warner DVR all the time. But TiVo is a commercial failure. They've never made money. And when they went IPO, their stock was at about $30 or $40 and then plummeted, and it's never traded above 10 In fact, I don't think it's even traded above 6 except for a couple of little spikes. Because you see, when TiVo launched their product, they told us all what they had. They said, we have a product that pauses live TV, skips commercials, rewinds live TV and memorizes your viewing habits without you even asking. And the cynical majority said, we don't believe you, we don't need it, we don't like it, you're scaring us. What if they had said, if you're the kind of person who likes to have total control over every aspect of your life, boy, do we have a product for you. It pauses live TV, skips commercials, memorizes your viewing habits, et cetera, et cetera. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And what you do simply serves as the proof of what you believe. Now let me give you a successful example of the law of diffusion of innovation. In the summer of 1963, 250,000 people showed up on the mall in Washington to hear Dr. King speak. They sent out no invitations and there was no website to check the date. How do you do that? Well, Dr. King wasn't the only man in America who was, the, who was a great orator. He wasn't the only man in America who suffered in a pre-civil rights America. In fact, some of his ideas were bad. But he had a gift. He didn't go around telling people what needed to change in America. He, you know, he went around and told people what he believed. I believe, I believe, I believe, he told people. And people who believed what he believed took his cause, and they made it their own, and they told people. And some of those people uh, created structures to get the word out to even more people. And lo and behold, 250,000 people showed up on the right day, on the right time, to hear him speak. How many of them showed up for him? Zero. They showed up for themselves. It's what they believed about America that got them to travel on a bus for eight hours to stand in the sun in Washington for in the middle of August. It's what they believed, and it wasn't about black versus white. 25% of the audience was white. Dr. King believed that there were two types of laws in this world, those that are made by a higher authority and those that are made by man. And not until all the laws that are made by man are consistent with the laws that are made by the higher authority will we live in a just world. It just so happens that the Civil Rights Movement was the perfect thing to help him bring his cause to life. We followed him, not for him, but for ourselves. And by the way, he gave the I have a dream speech, not the I have a plan speech. (laughs) Listen to politicians now with their comprehensive 12 point plans, they're not inspiring anybody. Because there are leaders and there are those who lead. Leaders hold a position of power or authority, but those who lead inspire us. Whether they're individuals or organizations, we follow those who lead, not because we have to, but because we want to. We follow those who lead, not for them, but for ourselves. And it's those who start with why, that have the ability to inspire those around them or find others who inspire them. Thank you very much.
1: If you listen to that, the golden circle just makes sense, at least to me. And I hope it makes some sense to you too. Um, it, moving from the inside out and always starting with the why, You always start with the why because only when you know your why can you figure out the how and then really figure out the what. Always in life, whatever you're doing, to move from the inside out, starting with the why. It's an absolutely critical concept to grasp. And I believe, on a very practical level, On a very practical level, this is the key to unlocking your preferred future for yourself individually, for your family, for your business, for your organization. This is the key to unlocking your preferred future in any area of life. And I'm a pastor, and of course, there's a spiritual realm to all of this, and I'm actually going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But on a practical level, I don't believe it gets any better than this. But before we get there, Just as you watched Simon Sinek talking about that, did you have an aha moment for your life? I want to give you just a second to talk with the people at your table. Was there anything that hit you as you watched that? So I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes to do that. Go ahead. Okay, if you're with your team, I'd encourage you to have continuing and ongoing conversations about... What you learned and what your aha moments were in that? Anybody want to share one that you had? You're anxious to share. Okay, let me tell you what one of my aha moments was. When I first watched uh, the Golden Circle talk by, by Simon Sinek, my aha moment was, Gerald, you need to start looking at all of life through this lens every single aspect of your life. And it became so much a part of me, I started even watching commercials through that lens. And noticing the difference in the commercials that we, we see and the different companies put out. Anybody own a Subaru Outback? Anybody, a few of you do. Laurel, these are people for you to talk to. Uh, <coughs> I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to help. Subaru Outbacks are great cars. I, I owned one for a few years. Uh, Subaru Outbacks are one of the safest cars made. Um, you know, uh, so often in an automobile, if you're in an automobile accident, the, one of the reasons that people are killed in them is because if it's a head-on, the engine is driven back into the passenger cabin. Subaru Outback, front-end collision, it releases the engine and drops it down, and the car goes over top of it. I mean, it's it's fascinating safety and technology. There are still pins in the rear passenger doors that go into the frame that reinforces all of the frame of the side together. Uh, they're, they're braking, automatic braking for you, the lane maintained, a lot of cars have those too. But the technology, yes? You kind of throw away, you missed one thing, it's the highest repairs per thousand miles. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let me just make a wild guess. Ford is much better than that. I'm just, just guessing. I'm, I'm, I'm not, that, that's fabulous, Brent. Thank you very much. You're helping me keep people awake. That's a really, really good thing. But their technology is incredible. Their safety awards are outstanding. Um, the 2021 model received the uh, Institute for Highway Safety, um, Top Safety Pick Plus, uh, they also received the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration five-star rating. The first time in 2013, they've received that every year since then. And, and it is, despite the repairs, it is a very high retention value car. I mean, you try to buy a used Subaru Outback and they're hard to find. And if you do, uh, the price on them is high. And uh, I want you to watch a commercial from Subaru. And uh, then, we'll, then we'll talk about it. But I want you to keep in mind what you just listened to Simon Sinek talk about. Everyone has got a dream. You know what I mean. Everyone wants to see what they never see You know what I mean. Everyone becomes invisible in the land of dreams. Hey, is our turn? Right. Our turn? Yeah, go left right here. Everyone has got a dream. You know what I mean. Great adventures are still out there. We'll find them in our Subaru Outback. Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. Did they talk about their safety? Did they talk about their technology? Commercial is all about the adventure. That it's all for the adventure. And that's why I bought a Subaru, was for the adventure. I bought a Subaru for the adventure, and uh, that's, that's their why. Their why is for the adventure. And that's why I bought one, and I kept it until I wanted more adventure in life because when it comes to recreation, uh, m- one of my whys is that there's got to be adventure with adrenaline in it, uh, when it when it comes to that. And when I wanted more adventure, I bought a Jeep. How about that? Is, is, is that any better? Okay, okay, good, good. Um, and So my why my made me trade vehicles, and I actually went to a less safe vehicle it doesn't have all the technology to it. In fact, you know, mine's a Jeep JK. Not, the new JLs are a lot better than that. Um, but uh, it doesn't have all the technology connected. And there's not, uh, you know, it, you know, I've done a lot of repair work on mine. But uh, it was what I needed for the why. But then after I bought it, my learner strength kicked in, and I started learning what you can really do in a Jeep. Not, not, not most of the people, you know. You see Jeep Rubicon, you know, you see those on the road. Uh, I read one thing that says 75% of Jeep Rubicons have never been off road. That, that, that they just don't take them off. They don't even know what a Rubicon does. They, you know, they pay extra $10,000 for a little sticker that goes on there because they just think it looks, it looks cooler to have the Rubicon on there. But I, so I started building up my Jeep and building it out. And I do most of my work myself. I only uh, pay to have the things done that I can't do or really don't, just don't want to do. And uh, I built it out so I could go crawl over stuff. And that's me just two Saturdays ago uh, on one of the Jeep Badge of Honor trails, crawling up, uh, crawling up over those big rocks. And um, I'm going to tell you, I, I didn't make it to the top of that rock. And my buddy that I off-road with, with he made it. Another one of my strengths is competition, so that was really hard uh, for me. But my wife was out of the car, and for months I've been talking about, I have 35-inch all-terrain tires, and I've been saying, I need to get 37-inch mud tires, so I, I get a little more clearance and a little more grip. And my wife has kept saying to me, that is such a waste of money, to go buy new tires when you've got good tires on the Jeep. And so I've been having this ongoing conversation with her, and she's outside of the Jeep, because when I do things like this, she just likes to observe and, and photograph it for me, and I don't do it. I stay there so long. My buddy's up there on the side. You can see him up there. He's looking at some things. I start blowing engine oil through the crankshaft filter because I'm up there so long. I'm determined I'm going to get, I mean, I'm blowing smoke out out of the back. He finally says, just back down. You can't do it. So my wife Giza gets in the car, and she's been watching the whole thing, and she knows the reason I couldn't do it was because of the tires. laughter and she knows the conversation we're about to have as soon as she gets back in. She gets in the car, in the Jeep, she looks over at me before anything else is said, and she says, just buy the tires. (laughs) And she said that because she knows my why in recreation and adventure is that I've got to have some adrenaline and some challenges that happen. I first met Dick Anderson uh, two or three years ago uh, because when Dick winters in Palm Desert, he, had, he attends the church where I'm a pastor, and he said to me one day, you know, I, I want to talk with you about an idea I have. And it was a little bit of time before we could find an opportunity to get together. But when I got together with Dick, and uh, I got to uh, to know his story, and I uh, learned his story, what I realized was with the wisdom chain, Dick has intuitively in his life been living out the golden circle with the wisdom chain, because his why in the wisdom chain has been to improve not just his life, but also the lives of those around him. Everybody has to be connected. His how is to help uh, all people see themselves as one link in the chain, and then the what was that each link will make decisions that benefit all of the links, not just the lives of his himself or even his own family, but the lives of everybody involved. And the concept of the Golden Circle, working from the inside out, starting with the why Eventually getting to the what, was, is actually rooted more deeply in human history than even Simon Sinek talked about. He made a little allusion to it. Now, whatever faith your faith perspective might be, I want you to know I honor that. Uh, I am a Christian pastor, been pastoring for almost 42 years. And my life and my thinking moves through what I see as fantastic stories of God's engagement with people and, and with all of us. And after my first exposure to the Golden Circle, I started reading the stories of the Bible through a new set of lenses. And what we began to see, and what I began to see, is that there's this inside-out movement with God, and it's how God always works, that God always starts with the why. So let me give you a couple of examples. One of those is from the Old Testament, and it's, it's Noah. And Noah's why was that God wants to do a do-over with humans. I don't know if you've ever read this st- story or not really closely, but there was one point where God slapped his forehead and said, Oy vey, what was I doing, you know, creating humans? I, I, I want a do-over with humans. That's why the story of, story of Noah happens. The how was destroy everyone except for one remnant family and start over again. And what he was going to do this what was to flood the earth, saving the remnant family and the animals to repopulate the world. Then you move over to the New Testament, and there happens to be a guy there named Jesus. And Jesus' why was to provide a way for our relationships with God to be restored. And the how was to send his only son from heaven to earth, and as what was, the son would be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, be executed after having been wrongly arrested and, and convicted, rise from the grave on the third day. And I began to have this thought since God works that way, it might be a good idea for us to work that way too, don't you think? Because when people don't understand the why of anything we do, any of your businesses, any of your organizations, when they don't understand the why, or when it's not their focus, and when they lose focus on the why, when it begins to fade, what happens? It it is the natural gravitational pull. When the why fades, the default focus always goes to the what it always goes to the what because that's the most simplest and easy thing for the majority of people to see but here's the risk the when it moves to when the why moves to this f- uh, default of the what the and the default focus always moves there here's the risk the risk is that it's actually more dangerous it's more dangerous than we can begin to imagine when people begin to focus on the what and if the what doesn't line up with their lives or their perspective of what they think the what should be, their way of thinking begins to shift to their own agendas in your program, in your business, in your organization, to their own objectives and what they want to get done and what they do, what they always, always, always do will want to begin to change the what because they've forgotten about the why. Now let me give you an example from the early history of the Israelites. Whether um, you read the Bible or not, whether you go to church or synagogue, or you have no faith background, uh, I bet it's a story you know. And uh, it's the story, you either know Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments. Anybody see the original Ten Commandments movie? Okay. Yeah, I still remember my parents taking me to the drive-in to see that for the very first time um, when I was a kid. It it, it released in 1956. If you're too young to have seen that, you might remember the 2014 movie Exodus, God and Kings with uh, Christian Bale. But uh, I bet most of us, if not all of us in the room, know the story, but I'd also bet you've never thought about it like this. See, there was a time in history when the Israelites are in captivity, and they're they're slaves in Egypt. And that's not where God wants them to be. They can't live their full and best life as slaves in Egypt. And God has a plan, and God has a purpose, and God has a why for them. And God always starts with the why. And here's the why. God wants them to experience the fullness of life. And so God wants them to experience that, and here's the how. God's how is to get them out of Egypt and into the promised land couple things shifted moving from one computer to another. But get them out of Egypt into the promised land. And the what is What's he going to do to do that? How's he going to, what's he going to do to achieve the how and get to the why? He's going to send Moses to Egypt to lead them out. And when Moses get there, gets there, he's going to drop plagues on them, and, and on the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He's going to lead the Israelites out, and they're going to go through the Red Sea, and they're going to go through the desert, and they're going to end up at this amazing land that God has waiting for them where they can experience the fullness of life, the why God is even doing this. So God gives Moses the why and the how and the what, and Moses could have gone back to Egypt and just started doing the what? <coughs> Moses could have gone back and just started doing all the plagues in Egypt, but that would have created total chaos, not just with the, with the Egyptians, but it would have also created chaos with the Israelites too, because they would have had no idea what was going on, and if they, they wouldn't even have been sure if they wanted to be part of that. They would have not known what was happening. But Moses didn't start with the what. He started with the why. And he got all the Israelite elders together and he told them everything that God had said to him. And then he gave them the why. And when they knew the why, that God was concerned about them. And God wanted them out of Egypt and wanted a better life from them. Here's what happened when all these elders listened to the why. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. When they knew the why, that God cared about them and wanted a better life for them, they were all in with the what. But it's never just that simple, is it? It's never a once and done in communicating the why. See, at first, the Israelites, they're really all excited about the what. All the stuff that's happening. They like the plagues because it's hitting everybody else. They like those. It doesn't impact them. They like the parting of the Red Sea. And then when the army comes in, the, the waters roll back and they you know drown everybody else that's there. They like the fact that they got to walk through on dry land and then the waters close. And, and I mean, that was a really cool thing for them. But then once life gets real on the other side of the Red Sea, and they end up spending longer in the desert than they had anticipated spending, and their food supply gets a lot less, what happens with the Israelites is they lose sight of the why. They lose the sight of the why. And what happened to them is exactly what happens to us when the why fades. We start focusing, like they did, on the what. And the moment that they start focusing on the what, All they can begin to see now is their personal situation. All they can see is their personal situation and how it's impacting them. And all they want to do at this point is just to change the what. They just want to change the what. And when their focus shifts from the why to the what, and and, and they're, they're looking at what's happening, and it isn't the way that they had pictured it happening for them, it gets so bad that they even wish they were back in Egypt as slaves. That's what happens when you lose your focus on the why. And that's heartbreaking. Now we read the story and we think, I mean, that's crazy. You know, Why, why didn't they get it? I can't believe that. And, and I can't believe that, that they have had attitudes like that. But what happened? Once they lost sight of the why, their focus moves to themselves and they start focusing on the what. And eventually they become so focused on the what that there are giants in this land that they're going to have to go defeat to take the land, they don't even believe in the why any longer. They stop believing they can possess the promised land, this land that's flowing with milk and honey and and a future that was better than anything that they could have ever dreamed of. They lost sight of the why. And what happened to them is what always happens. They start looking at the what. They develop bad attitudes. They become negative. Anybody ever had any employees with bad attitudes or are negative? Sure, sure you have. We, we all have. And because of that, they don't get to see the fulfillment of God's why. They don't get to see the fulfillment of God's future. They didn't get to experience life at its best. Where you show up at work every day, When you show up to your family or your community, there is a promised land. There is something beyond today. If there is a preferred future for you, and the key to unlocking it, to to embracing and engaging that life-giving future that's waiting for every one of you and all of those around you, is that you've got to stay focused on the why. And you have to, as a leader, at any level of leadership, You have to keep the people you're leading focused on the why. That's the reason Simon Sinek says this, work with people who believe what you believe. Boy, have I seen that during my days here in Medora. That you believe in this place. And you know what happens? Because you believe in it, it becomes contagious for those of us who experience it for the first time. My first time in Medora, in fact, my first time in North Dakota. I believe what you believe now. Because you believe it so deeply, and your why is so significant. In other words, people who get the why, you have to work with them. Now, what's that mean for all of you from a leadership perspective? That you have the responsibility for continually recasting the vision for your people. I could take you through an explanation that you have to recast the vision. I can show you a lot of reasons why. You have to reconnect the vision, recast the vision every 28 days. It's a biblical principle, I can explain to you later, but I'm not going to take time to do that. Every 28 days, you have to recast the vision because people lose it. The focus on the why fades every 28 days. You have to help people not understand not just the what that needs to get done, but the why that's driving all of the what. Now, some of you might be thinking, I don't have time to explain the, what, uh, the why. I'm just too busy. I just need to, them to get the things done. We'll tell you, they'll get it done, they'll get it done better as long as they continually remember the why. It'll take you less time, it'll take you less effort, you'll have less emotional drain, you'll have less frustration in your organization. If you lead with the why, if you lead with the why instead of the what, because if you lead with the what and they don't like the what, they won't work hard at the what. They've got to believe the why. In fact, sometimes they even work against the what, and then you have a lot of cleanup to do and a lot of course correction to do. Remember this. If, if you don't remember anything else out of my time with you, remember this quote from Simon Sinek. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. In fact, would you read that out loud with me? Let's, here we go. On three. One, two, three. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Now I want you to read it again like you maybe believe it, okay? (laughs) Let's do it again. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And my hope for you is that you'll experience the fullness of your preferred future, the promised land that's waiting for each of you, and engage all that life still has waiting for you. And let's never forget that the only reason that any of us are here today is because Harold Schaefer knew his why. To preserve the history and the spirit of this town called Medora for generations to come. That's why we're here. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to the Wisdom Chain Podcast. Join us next week for the final episode of this podcast with Daniel Gannarelli. We'll talk to you then.